0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's Fit Pro podcast. We're joined today by Mark Coulson. He's a veteran in the industry, a senior lecturer in health-related exercise, and an author of many of the key texts in the business. Mork, thanks for your time. It's a pleasure to have you speaking with us today. You're welcome, nice to be here. Excellent. So today we're going to be looking at common misunderstandings for instructors. Let's take a look at a few now. So first of all, why is it important that instructors believe that you should keep your feet hip-width apart and your feet parallel while squatting?
1: Sure, I think the first thing we've got to remember is that everyone is an individual. So let's not get hung up on trying to create the perfect squat technique. So, if we look at all the variations in people's bodies from what we call Q angle, so this is where the femur sticks into the side of the of the hip, the, the tibia is sitting on top of an ankle joint. Lots of things can be varied, which gives us an absolute individual movement. So, we're not all the same. So, let's let's get that sort of clear at the start. So, that means when we're doing squats, we cannot have this ideal image in mind. What we should be focusing on is what is good technique for that individual now if we look at the research on this if we look at quality research we'll see that varying the hip width and actually varying the foot position from about zero to 30 degrees in rotation there's absolutely absolutely no difference in outcome so for instructors out there my ad- advice would be talk to your client Get them doing a few squats ask if they're comfortable if they're comfortable and the technique doesn't look you know too risky let them do it
0: of course so it's more a basis on what your client feels most comfortable themselves in as long as as you say you're not putting them at risk by doing something too averse then what you're most comfortable with is probably the best bet you've hit
1: on asking the client are they comfortable do they feel good in that position and squatting down to their full capacity so we're going to push them to go as deep as they possibly can and as long as that's comfortable and they've got the strength to get back up that's key
0: sure that makes complete sense and also i guess that that builds a rapport with them if you can have that open dialogue and conversation, then you're going to be able to get the truth out of them. You'll know when they're comfortable and they'll be able to tell the truth as well.
1: I think the communication is absolutely key between instructor and client. And the more you can interact and the
0: more you can question and get feedback, the better that the pause is going to be. Sure, it makes complete sense. So then moving on to another potential misunderstanding, the shoulder press. Should clients remain seated or not? Ah,
1: now this is something I see quite often very common in gyms up and down the country where you will see clients sitting on benches doing shoulder press i think even before i touch on the research if we think about that logically as a human that's something we wouldn't do we wouldn't be sitting in a seated position pushing weights above our head so alarm bells should be ringing there we should be thinking as, as instructors well hang on and that's not what we're meant to do if we look into the research, and there's research that's been done on, on various aspects of this, if we just focus on one aspect, which is the what we call the intradiscal pressure, so that's the intervertebral discs that are there to cushion the spine, if we sit and then put weight in our arms, we then increase that intradiscal pressure hugely more than we would if we stood up and done the same exercise. So just... By standing up, we take that pressure off the intervertebral discs. And I think all the instructors out there will know: the more pressure you put on an intervertebral disc, at some point in the future, there could be a rupture in that disc.
0: Sure. So, is that to say that there are no merits for doing a shoulder press and having your having your client do a shoulder press while sitting down? Then, if the option is there to stand up, it should be taken standing up.
1: Absolutely, because um, we can look at the other drawbacks and the other merits of standing up, and there are many. Mm. So we'll just touch on one more. If we get the client to perform the exercise in a standing position, then we activate what we, we know as core muscles. So those core muscles that create stability around the trunk Will not be engaged if we're in a seated position. And I, I think the instructors out there will know all about costability stability and that doing core exercises is absolutely key to preventing injury. So,
0: yet another good idea to get the client standing up. Sure. One question I would have about that is what if the client prefers and feels more comfortable in a seated shoulder press situation? What would be your advice to trainers in that circumstance?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. And what I would then do is throw that question back at them and say, okay, let's question the client further. Why are they feeling more comfortable? Probably because their core isn't strong enough to support them when they stand. If it's not, then reflect on that as, a, as an instructor and think, you know what? I think I need to do some core strengthening with my client, maybe before I'm starting to do some shoulder work. So we need to take a step back. And then also, apart from that, do we then need to educate the client in the benefits of the standing position as opposed to the seated position? So two things just to be aware of.
0: Yeah, that makes complete sense when you think about it. It's like we said just a moment ago about communication. If you kind of open that pathway and are able to have a chat with them about it, then they can understand. And even if they do have a preference for one reason or another, it's about talking to them and finding that out, right?
1: Absolutely, and that, that is what puts one instructor above another instructor. It's that
0: ability to communicate, but communicate from a base of understanding. Sure. Moving on to another exercise, another common misunderstanding among instructors, is in relation to a lateral pull-down. A lot of people okay. believe that if you... Perform the lateral pull down onto the neck That you can crush the vertebrae Would you like to tell us a little bit about that? Okay,
1: this is an anecdote I hear a lot But I've never ever yet come across an incident where this has happened Theoretically, yeah, okay, could happen Especially if you're going to hit the cervical vertebrae around C6 With some, it would have to be some force, bear in mind to create enough damage to maybe impact on our breathing nerve. I've never ha- come across that kind of incident. So what we will do is kind of push that to one side and say, not aware that's happened yet, but why shouldn't we do that? Why is that not a good technique? For many different reasons, one of the main ones will be prevention of injury. Now we can, we can delve into what's called the physiotherapy research here and look at instability in the, in the shoulder joint. There's been a lot of research done on this, and one of the main areas is around lat pull-downs, where it's shown that if the lat pull-down is performed behind the neck, this creates shoulder instability. Now, here's a, here's a little tip for all the instructors out there. Whatever exercise you do, ask yourself one question. Can I see my hands in my peripheral vision. If the answer is no, then your hands will be in what's called the high five position. So if you imagine doing a lat pull down behind the neck, are your hands in peripheral vision? No, they're out of peripheral vision, which means your shoulder is in, in physiotherapy terms, what's called a high five position. This is an unstable position where the rotator cuff is basically on stretch it's not working as optimally as it could be so all we need to do is bring the hands into peripheral vision which means now we're pulling that lat bar down to the front so for protection of the shoulder joint lat pull downs to the front are absolutely crucial
0: so essentially you've agreed with the statement but just for the completely opposite reasons it's one of those things that you hear online, it's hearsay and anecdotal, like you say, but then there are reasonings behind going along with the, uh, with the theory.
1: Yeah, it, it's great that instructors are out there saying, right? Like, don't pull behind the neck, don't pull behind the neck. Absolutely brilliant. But a bit more education and get that by reading around the physiotherapy journals about what's called the high five position, and you'll see it's not quite for the reason you thought, but it's great that we're giving that message. Sure,
0: definitely. And then, to take that kind of same same lateral pull-down, what was your take on a wide grip or a narrow grip?
1: Wide grip and narrow grip is pretty much the same as when we do squats. So a change in foot position, and here it would be the change in hand position, doesn't really make a great deal of difference. All it does is highlights fibres at a slightly different angle but if you look at the research, and now to a wide grip has pretty much no difference whatsoever in hypertrophy gains. What I would say is, as a, an instructor, step back again. What is the use of a lat pull down? Okay, well, we're designed as humans to pull things. Would we always pull that with exactly the same hand grip distance? the distance would be absolutely fine and all that would do is create a more functional strength range so as an instructor what we need to do is say to our clients wide grip, narrow grip, whatever you feel like when you come in, vary and why not an offset so why not one arm wide one arm narrow because as a human if we're pulling things they're not always symmetrical so again let's not get hung up on where I absolutely have to have my hands. It can vary.
0: That's the thing, just logically, it makes sense, doesn't it? And sometimes you do just need to take a step back and really think about it. Sometimes overthinking creates these problems which you're describing aren't really there.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And it's because we're in 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 an industry where many people have many opinions, but often those opinions are just based on anecdotes. So it's up to the the instructors out there to make sure what they are saying to clients has an evidence base.
0: Moving on to another exercise then, this is one that you see a lot of Instagram stars performing, preacher curls. Do you think that these should be a no-go exercise and it's better to stick to bicep curls?
1: Absolutely. This is one where in the lectures I do with my students, we talk about, undoing mother nature. Now I use mother nature in a, in the sense that I have no idea who created the human race. <laughs> so I use mother nature as an example, um, regardless of belief and the way we're designed, when we're doing a bicep curl. So imagine you're standing in, a, in a, an upright position and you're lifting a weight. At some point as that weight is being lifted, it's further away from the body. And that's usually when the bicep is at approximately 90 degrees. So there a 90 degrees angle between the upper arm and the lower arm. And that's because the weight is the furthest from the body, it creates the biggest turning force. Now, Mother Nature, for, for want of a better word, has designed the overlap of fibres to be absolutely at its peak at that position. So, in other words, the strongest. So it's matched where that dumbbell lifting up is furthest from the body and also going in a vertical direction and that means it's going against gravity that's the hardest work so we match the hardest work to the strongest part of the bicep now if we put ourselves into a preacher curl we completely undo that because most of the movement in a preacher curl is done when the arm is at its stretched position and that's actually the weakest part of the bicep when the bicep gets to its strongest part, roughly ninety degrees, the weight is going pretty much horizontal. Now that's a mismatch in the work load and the strength of the, the bicep, so we're completely undone by the nature.
0: So just not using it to its optimal strength and the best way it can be used, the muscle. Absolutely, and you'll come across this because
1: if you ask anybody who does preacher curls. That's the if they have to do it on a lower weight than a normal bicep curl and that's because the fibers are only really working when they're at the end stretched range so it's the outer range that really is the only time they, they're doing some work and that's why they can't do the work because they haven't got the overlap to do
0: that i wonder why so, yeah. it's such a so, sorry to interrupt i wonder why it is such a popular a popular move then i wonder why people go to it
1: if you think about weightlifting in its purest form, I've got to admit, it's boring. So year upon year, decade upon decade, people have come up with things to make weightlifting less boring. But unfortunately, these things are not necessarily based in science. So it's, it's done for variety, with all the best intentions, but unfortunately, science doesn't quite back it up.
0: Of course. That's the thing, though. You can't be a classic, can you? Exactly. So, finally, just wrapping up then for our common misunderstandings for instructors, I was just wondering if you had any advice that you'd like to offer fit pros on how they can review exercises and interpret evidence for their clients.
1: Yeah, great question, So, All you guys out there, there are a lot of opinions in the fitness world. Please now, try not to listen to just the anecdotal evidence that's coming out please try to ignore people in the gym who are saying oh do this because it works for me and please use your ingenuity and your integrity etc etc to get into the research start reading the research if you have got a lot of research journals they will summarize things at the front in what's called an abstract you don't really need to go into the rest of the journal if it's too sciency but the abstract should give you an overview and a especially the physiotherapy journals as well as an example of one of the journals maybe to go and have a look at to start you off would be the journal of strength and conditioning if you go to that you'll find everything you need to know about our industry and research that's being done in our industry so let's try and dispel the myths and let's just stick to evidence base
0: i think that's a great example as well it's really good that you can go and it can be daunting when you see this huge abs- uh, this huge journal full of so many citations and so many pages it can be daunting but then when you just look at the abstract that can give you the complete overall that you need to find out the new information you're looking for. Exactly. Well thank you so much for talking to us today Morg. I think you've given some really sound advice and I'm sure that there's plenty of fit pros out there who will be able to take this on board and use it with their clients and it will really help improve their sessions. I hope so. Well done guys and good luck. Thank you very much, Mark. Cheers. For more information about FitPro education and for details on FitPro membership and insurance, you can visit us at fitpro.com. We hope you enjoy today's podcast and see you next time.